Good morning. Um, as you already know, my name is Manuel Mivia, and it is an honor and great pleasure for me to be able to be here this morning with you in opening God's word together. Please uh, receive my warmest greetings from the Evangelical Christian Church of Dubai, where, as, a, as was mentioned, I currently serve as deacon of university students there. Um, I am personally very encouraged, and I know the members of ECCD as well are also very encouraged uh, by the growth of the gospel here in Abu Dhabi. May our gracious Father be pleased to continue to use you for his glory and for many, many years should the Lord tarry. Um, this morning we will continue to think through the topic of missions um, by going back to the foundations of our faith. Christians have a message and this is a message that needs to be proclaimed. It is a message that we have received from God and we are called to be faithful witnesses and proclaimers of this message. Now this message is the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to help us understand and to see what the good news of Jesus Christ is, we are going to be turning to the letter of 1 John. So please open your Bibles and, and turn there with me. We will be reading from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 2, verse 2. And I know it is custom for you guys to stand when we read the word. So please stand with me as I read God's word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we thank you that through it we can know you and have eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would speak to us, and that you would help us to see the glorious news of the gospel, 
in the impact that it should have on our lives and in the lives of those around us. We pray all of this for your glory in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The letter of 1 John is not like other epistles that we find in the New Testament. For example, we do not have an introduction where the author tells us his name or who he is writing to. But we can have confidence that the writer is the Apostle John, the brother of James, since the style of writing and the themes that he is addressing are very similar to that of the Gospel of John. This letter was written after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, and he is writing to a group of believers, presumably a local church. Later, for example, you can look at chapter 2, verse 19, where he speaks to the audience about false brothers, people who came to be Christians who have gone out from their midst. So this, this suggests that this is a group of people that knows who they are and know those who have gone out from them. As John opens his letter to these believers in chapter 1 and the opening verses of chapter 2, he holds out to them an invitation to fellowship and a proof for fellowship. These are going to be our two points for this morning. Invitation to fellowship, which you can find in verses 1 through 4, and the proof of fellowship, which you can find in verses 5 all the way to verse 2 of chapter 2. Uh, let me encourage you to write those down if you're taking notes. Invitation to fellowship and the proof, to fel proof of fellowship. So let's consider first the first four verses, the invitation to fellowship. In these first four verses, you will find three things. You will find first, an eyewitness testimony, second, a call to fellowship, and third, a complete joy. So let's consider first the eyewitness testimony and the significance and importance of this. John opens this letter by testifying to his readers about someone he calls the word of life and the eternal life there in verses 1 and verse 2. He says that this word was from the beginning. This word was with the Father and that this word was made manifest to us. Now, manifest is a word that means made revealed, made, being seen, uh, to be known. So this is something that he personally experienced. And it is because this word that was made manifest that John can testify about him, saying that he has heard this word, that he has seen this word, that he has looked upon this word, and that he has touched this word even with his own hands. So the natural question that all of us should be asking is, who is this word? Well, let me invite you to look at verse 3. The end of verse 3, it says... Um, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This word is God the Son, is Jesus. John speaks of Jesus in a very similar way. If you go to the beginning of his gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of life that we see here in the first two verses and the eternal life. Now we know from the Gospel of John that Jesus spent three years following Jesus, hearing his teaching, observing his life and his ministry. He was present at the crucifixion of Jesus. He was an eyewitness to that. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the risen Lord. 
And he was present when Jesus gave his disciples the great commission of Matthew 28 that you considered as a congregation two weeks ago. If you want to know more exactly about what John saw, what he touched, what he experienced, let me encourage you to read the Gospel of John. Take some time this week to read it. Maybe you may want to start there as your devotional time to see, to recognize who it is that John interacted with and what type of interaction he had. But John here is not only talking about his personal testimony. In the opening lines of this letter, he writes in these verses uh, in the plural, right? Look down, uh, verse 1, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we looked upon and touched with our hands, uh, we have seen it and testified to it. So we see the emphasis on the we. This is not just his own testimony, but this is the testimony of Jesus' other disciples as well. What John and the other disciples are testifying to is central to our faith. We are talking about a physical, historical fact. God entered into time and space. He took on flesh, becoming a man while remaining, while remaining fully God. He made himself manifest. And because of this, we can have confidence in what we believe about Jesus. This is not simply a theory or a fairy tale, but this is an actual historical person on whom we have set our faith. People today think of faith as blind belief or simply believing something that is impossible, maybe hoping in something that you know is impossible. But we see here that Christians are not called to have a faith that is blind but a faith that is based on the testimony of many faithful eyewitnesses who recorded these things so that we may have confidence in what we have believed. You know, you, you think even of, of, in terms of touching, right? In the Gospel of John is where we have Doubting Thomas. And right? who he said, unless I put my hands in the wounds, I won't believe. And he reported that for us so that we may have confidence that these people touched, saw, interacted personally with the living and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, having considered this amazing truth of John's personal interaction with the word of life, with God himself in the flesh, what does he do next? Thankfully, John does not keep this good news to himself. But in verse 3, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is a call to fellowship. Our second point. Now, John had a unique experience. He had a physical, in-person relationship with Jesus. But his readers did not. And neither do we at this moment of redemption history. We do not have the opportunity to sit after the service at Pastor Garrett's house later this afternoon and give Jesus a hug and pass him a plate of food and watch him eat. But John says that he is proclaiming the person and the work of Jesus so that through Jesus we can have fellowship with other Christians and with God himself. We experience this fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of believers. And we can know God through his word, the Bible. Whenever the word of God is preached, God is speaking to us through it. 
and we respond to him back in prayer. So let's take for a moment, let's take a moment to consider our own personal Bible reading. Do you recognize that whenever you are reading the Bible by yourself or with others, it is a means of fellowshipping with the eternal God of the universe? Or do you simply view it as something optional that you can do only if you have some free time uh, or you're in the mood? Do you prioritize reading this word, not only by yourself, but also with other believers, recognizing that God forms fellowship uh, through the reading of his word, through the proclamation of his word? That is why we sing. That is why we pray, uh, because we recognize that God has brought us into fellowship through the gospel. Um, one day, we will see Jesus face to face. He has promised that he will return from heaven where he is currently right now seated at God's right hand and he will gather all his people to himself and we will dwell with him forever. One day, our fellowship with Jesus will be as physical as John's fellowship and that fellowship will be marked by complete joy. But even now, we can enjoy fellowship with God and because our fellowship is with him, we can enjoy fellowship with one another. So let us consider our third subpoint, a complete joy. In fact, the idea of this complete joy is the reason why John is writing this letter. Look at verse 4. He tells us, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The word our in this verse does not refer only to John and his fellow apostles but also to John's readers and to us. In fact, some of the manuscripts say your. And this helps us understand that his intention in writing is not just for his own personal joy, but this is a complete mutual joy, all of our joys together. John's motivation to proclaim Jesus to his readers is not guilt, it is not fear or pride. His reason for writing to them is because he wants them to share in the joy and fellowship that he himself enjoys with God. He is writing so that their joy and our joy may be complete. Think about it. The more you know and love God, the more you will desire for others to know and love him too. And that means your motivation to share Jesus with them will flow out of your desire for them to enjoy God. So what about our motivations for sharing the gospel? Are you motivated by love or are you motivated by fear? Is it a love for God and a desire for others to enjoy in that fellowship? Or is it a fear of people? Maybe one of the elders is going to ask you if you're doing evangelism. And so you want to be ready to give them an answer. Uh, what is your motivation? Think about it as well. When you share the gospel with people, what do they sense? What do they see? Do they actually see that you love this message? Or are you merely relaying information to them? Is this something that is personal to you? Do you have this joy, this fellowship, this desire? Or is it something that you know, is a burden at the back of your mind that you know you should be doing this and that's what motivates you. Um, if it's the latter, let me encourage you to repent of that and to get to know God better. To take God at his word, 
to recognize what unique opportunity you have when you read the word individually and together, that you are interacting with the God of the universe, and that he is the one who will put in us his love so that we may desire for others to know that love and that joy. This then leads us to our, our second point for this morning, the proof of fellowship, which we'll be looking in, in verse 5 all the way to the end, to chapter 2, verse 2. So far, John's message about the person of Jesus and the invitation to fellowship with God and with his people and to complete joy sounds pretty great. Who wouldn't want that? You know, sign me up. Where do I sign? Tell me. But then in, in verse 5, John says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Initially, this message might sound good, not too bad, pretty great. Who doesn't want a God who is light and a God in whom there is no darkness at all? But this presents a problem. God is pure. He is perfect. He is holy and righteous. There's not even the faintest hint of sin in him. Does that sound like you? Think about it for a minute. Are you without even a hint of sin or darkness? Even on your best days? The Bible says in Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Let that sit for a moment. If that is true, then how can we have fellowship with God? Well, let me show you. Let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. And then in verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to be cleansed from our sins. This is why God the Father sent Jesus, his only son, into the world to deal with the problem of sin. Chapter 2, verse 2 says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If we are to have fellowship with God, then we must be cleansed from our sins. And the wrath of God against us for our sin must be appeased, which is what propitiation means. Propitiation is a sacrifice that appeases God's wrath and bestows on us God's favor. I know that's a big word. Propitiation is a sacrifice that appeases God's wrath and bestows on us God's favor. This is what, what we just considered at the beginning of the letter. That Jesus came as a real human being, being fully God and fully man. He lived a life of perfect righteousness. In fact, look down at verse 1 of chapter 2. John calls him Jesus Christ the righteous. In Jesus, there was no darkness 
no, not even a stain or a hint of sin. He walked in light perfectly and died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God against us by paying for our sin with his blood. And as John witnessed, he rose from the dead on the third day, proving that he was victorious over sin and over death. This was the only way for sinners who were once in darkness to have fellowship with a God who is light. They must first hear the good news of the saving work of Jesus and believe in him. In his gospel, in chapter 20, uh, verse 31, John writes, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing and that by believing you may have life in his name. We need to know what is the problem. We need to know how the problem was satisfied so that we could have fellowship with God. And that is through the gospel, through what Jesus has accomplished. And this is a real physical historical fact. If we deny the historicity of Jesus, then everything we're doing here is pointless. There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins. We would be lying to ourselves and would be continuing in our sins. But this brings up another question. How can we know if we really do have fellowship with God? Well, in, in the letter part, so in verses 6 all the way to uh, verse 2 of chapter 2, John is helpful in giving us a test to see whether we actually have this fellowship. John gives six if statements that distinguish between those who have fellowship with God and those who do not. So we'll, we'll look first now at the first three uh, parallel if statements that describe those who do not have fellowship with God. If you want to write them down, there's verses 6, verses 8, and verse 10. And we'll consider each one at a time. So I'm, I'm going to read them. First, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What do you notice about these three statements? This is repetition on sin. Um, but these lines all describe someone who is self-deceived. If we say we have fellowship with God but walk in darkness, then John says we deceive ourselves. To walk in darkness doesn't mean you occasionally stumble in, in sin. It doesn't mean you occasionally sin. It means to make a practice of sinning. It means to live in the darkness and to continue in your sin. Later in this letter, in chapter 3, verse 8, John says that whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. You cannot walk in persistent and unrepentant sin and claim to have fellowship with God. That is impossible with a God who is light. Another form of self-deception is to believe that you don't actually have sin. Maybe we believe that we've never sinned. You know, there are some people who believe that they've never sinned. They've only made mistakes here and there. They're not that bad. Um, or maybe we know we sinned in the past, but we believe that we are now so spiritually mature that we no longer have any sin at all. You know, some people who are religious leaders claim that. Um, yet John says, if we say that we have not sinned, then we are making God a liar. 
This is because sin is personal with God. If we deny what God says about us and the reality of our sin, then we are saying that his indictment, his judgment is wrong. And so we are accusing him of lying. We are making God a liar, which shows that his word is not in us. This should cause us to stop and wonder um, and consider the warning that John is giving us here. It is possible for you to believe that you have fellowship with God and be desperately, eternally wrong. Let me encourage you, consider your life carefully, whether you are making a practice of sinning in your life, and den or maybe denying even that you have sin altogether. This is why we need brothers and sisters in our life, and why we need to open our lives so that others can help us examine our own lives. This is why it's so important, even as you vote as a church for the new members, that you know the lives of these people. Because you're confirming something to them. You're giving them an assurance that you see a fruit of life and fellowship. And so it is a part of loving one another to see our lives, to be involved in each other's lives. Let me call you to invite brothers and sisters in the church to consider your life with you, to pray with you. And if you find that you are self-deceived, beg God for forgiveness. Beg God to forgive you, knowing that Jesus' blood is able to cleanse you from your sin. The worst thing is for you to continue to think that you have fellowship with God and then find out on the last day that you were deceiving yourselves. What this is calling us to is, is to a recognition, a confession of our sin, and the recognition that God has addressed our biggest need. Um, the other characteristic we see of someone who does not have fellowship with God is that they do not practice the truth. The truth is not in them. If you see there at the end of those verses, um, we see in verse 6, the end says, we lie and do not practice the truth. The end of verse 8, and the truth is not in us. And the end of verse 10, and his word is not in us. These people... Because they don't have the truth of God. They don't have the word of God in them. They do not have fellowship with God. So if these things characterize your life, self-deception, making a practice of sinning, denying that you have sin, and not having God's word in you, then you do not have fellowship with God. That is the stark news, the stark reality that we all need to consider. Because this has eternal implications. Now... Let's consider the other three statements describing someone who does have fellowship with God. So these are verse 7, verse 9, and verses 1 and 2 in chapter 2. Verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the first two verses of chapter 2 say, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If we have fellowship with God, we will walk in the light and confess our sins. 
We will do this because we trust that God has provided an advocate and a propitiation for our sins and that he will cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. Do you notice that? It's interesting. Those who have fellowship with God are not those who are without sin, but they are those who recognize their sin and bring it to God, trusting that he is able to forgive and to cleanse them. If we have fellowship with God, our lives will be characterized by walking in the light, seeking not to sin, and confessing our sin to God when we stumble. Walking in the light, if you see the parallel there from um, verse 7, is parallel to verse 9, where it says confessing our sins, if we confess our sins. So walking in the light involves coming to the light, coming to God and confessing your sin. And we can encourage one another to do that. We can model that. You know, that's why we prayed earlier a prayer of confession, where there's a recognition that we have sin, but there's also the reminder, the encouragement that God has indeed dealt with that sin at the cross, which should give us freedom when we stumble, not to hide, not to run away, but to come to the light, knowing that there is forgiveness, knowing that God has acted so that we might be set free. Um, so then, the message of the gospel, which we have considered this morning, demands a response. And there are only two options. It's either you have fellowship with God or you don't have fellowship with God. Uh, either we can come to Jesus, confess our sins, and find forgiveness in the sacrifice that God has provided to appease his wrath and reconcile us to him, or... We can deny our sins, deny our need for propitiation, and in doing so, we are calling God a liar, and his wrath remains on us. Brothers and sisters, there is no middle ground. Either you believe in the testimony of God, or you do not. Either you recognize your sin and confess it, or you do not. You have fellowship with God through Jesus, his son, or you are under his eternal wrath. Those are the only two options. So let me address the non-Christian visitors and, and friends who are here. Let me urge you to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. We are not calling you to clean your act up. No, what we are proclaiming and declaring to you is that you can have fellowship with God by coming as you are to Jesus, confessing your sin and finding in his blood the forgiveness for your sin. He is the one who then is able to change us. That's why John can write in, in chapter 2, in verse 1, saying, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So we're not advocating here for a continual life of sin and then you can run to Jesus because he has paid for your sin. As some people uh, presume or say that Christians can do whatever they want because they know at the end of the day, Jesus is going to pay for their sin. No, that is lying to yourself. That is deceiving to yourself. What we are calling is for you to repent and recognize that by yourself, you cannot overcome the power of sin, which is why you come to Jesus. Which is why we confess the one to the one who can actually reconcile us to himself and the one who has paid for our sin to set us free. This is a spiritual reality that we cannot do on our own efforts and our own strength. But God has provided an advocate and propitiation. 
in chapter 2, we see, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is our representative, and he is the one who died in our place so that we might be reconciled to God and so that we might know that there is true forgiveness, confidence, assurance that you can have forgiveness. If you are a Christian and you're struggling with sin, let me encourage you, talk to someone else. Talk to someone else who you know that they're walking in the light, who can advise you and who can help you so that you may see victory in sin. Pray for one another. We cannot do this on our own. That's why this is a call to a community. To, together, we have fellowship with one another and we have fellowship with God and we live in a way that demonstrates that we know the God of light. Now here, in, in, at the end of chapter, uh, verse 2 in chapter 2, we see that this propitiation of sins is not only for us, but also for the sins of the whole world. In this, we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation that is available to the whole world. It is available to anyone who will receive it, confessing their sin and trusting in the finished work of Jesus for salvation. The message of the gospel, as we mentioned, demands a response from the whole world and needs to be proclaimed in its fullness. So, having considered the invitation of fellowship and the proof of fellowship, John lays out in these verses Let's, let's take a moment now to think through some of the implications for missions. First, we have a message. And we need to proclaim this message. It is a message that God has given us in his word. And before we go out to the, to the nations to proclaim the message of the gospel, we need to make sure that we personally know what the gospel is. We need to examine our lives to see if we know it. Second, before we go to proclaim to the nations, we should examine our lives to see whether we have fellowship with God or not. Invite other people into your lives to help you examine yourself. And third, we should remember that just as we have received this invitation to share in the joy and fellowship with God and with other Christians, we are also called to share this invitation with others. So, to summarize, we need to know the gospel, believe the gospel, and proclaim the gospel. We need to know the gospel, believe the gospel, and proclaim the gospel. So that others too might share in our joy and our fellowship. Let us pray. Father God, we, we marvel the fact that you uh, would send your son to enter into time and space, the one who was from eternity past with you, to reconcile us to yourself. We thank you for his sacrifice, that in him we can find forgiveness of sin, and that we have assurance. Uh, we thank you that there is forgiveness of sin, and we pray, Lord, that you would write these words in our hearts, that you would help us believe them, that they would be true in our life, and that we would proclaim, so that others too may, joy and the, may, may share in the joy that we have in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.